Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Threat Intelligence Podcast. And this week, we have some very exciting stories to talk about. Before we start, Amar, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well, Jonas. Thank you for asking, as always. It's good to have you back indeed this week. And we have some very, very interesting stuff to share, especially we have been talking a lot about the partnerships between law enforcement and the private sector. And I think the very big news of this month or maybe even of the whole year is that Europol was capable of bringing down one of the most notorious malware and botnets out there. It all started back in the days, Emotet, as a, who started as a banking trojan, mainly targeting the financial industry, where sooner than later they adapted their strategy and moved into the private and public sector. And um, yeah, it's, it's quite a, a big event uh, which, which happened there. Yeah, so Emotet is the malware that changed the world. I am surprised that more people don't talk about it. There will definitely be some documentary on this, on this malware. As you said, it started off as malware that was stealing banking credentials really from people like stealing either usernames and passwords and other credentials. And then it morphed into being malware as a service. So it's not really malware itself it's a botnet that allows malware to like hop on it and that malware can be anything it can be ransomware it can be um you know denial of service attacks rootkits anything that they they want or anything that people pay the botnet author authors for to rent a space and basically attack people yeah it's definitely known as one of the most destructive malware and, and botnets out there, which makes it so powerful when we when we look at the capabilities, because it started off pretty basic and, and basic in, in quotes here, but the capabilities were quite limited. But very quickly, they adapted their models and added additional features like we see this with a lot of legitimate software out there. You, you start with uh, with a core feature and then go from there. A similar approach with, with Emotet, where they added additional models and added more capabilities, with, which made it much more destructive. Sooner than later, they also added warm capabilities, which means they did not have to exploit every single victim by themselves. But the infected hosts were capable of understanding which connected devices are also vulnerable and immediately infected them as well. Yeah, you know, I remember in 2018 when uh, I think it was it was the uh, the town of Allerton, Pennsylvania. It got infected by Emotet. At least that's what was you know widely reported. It was like a one million dollar ransom at that time. It was like one of the largest ransoms for a government entity at that time. It was like crazy. It was making the news all over the place. And uh, you know, today uh, 2018 seems very very long uh, long ago. And a uh, one million dollar ransoms are you know not unheard of if if not the norm for like major ransoms but uh you know you're right and i think one of the most powerful things about emotet is that it's modular uh and it does update and in fact uh these days emotet has automatic update mechanics just like windows software and other iot software it has window it has updates and those updates not only make it harder for security software to detect them but also more features get it added in and as i said they can download additional types of malware or additional types of software to enhance the capability for the attacker yeah talking about these additional 
type of malware and, and software which gets updated. We have also seen some collaboration between different threat actors where they realize that some of their, let's say, um, some of the other threat actors are, are or have quite a good footprint into different kind of environments. So they decided to work together and started to having talks about, hey, what about if you drop our malware into the infected host, which you have already, and we start to help each other out. So I think this is quite a dangerous trend, which we see out there, because even the single threat actors are quite powerful. And if they start to collaborate more and more together, they have such a bigger impact in the end. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, Emotet itself not only you know attracted a lot of attention for its you know how widespread it was. I mean, you know, we're talking about like you know you know thousands to millions of victims, and most of those victims didn't even know they were victims, right? So they're just it's literally the sense of a botnet. It can be turned on anytime, and and uh, that botnet can be used for a variety of different attacks. And uh, Emotet, you you know, it wasn't it wasn't really sophisticated on how it how it spread either for the most part it was a phishing attack that came through a infected uh, like word document or another type of office document and it uses macros yeah it used some social engineering to try and tell a user you know turn on the macro to see this very important document but uh for the most part users were clicking okay click enabling the macro and the attack started uh, and when I mean the attack started, Emotet was actually a little uh, uh, smart about this. They didn't start to attack right away. Uh, they got into the system, but kind of waited and looked around the system, uh, you know, tried to see what else it could do, if it could brute force passwords, if it could, like, access contact information, start sending out phishing vulnerabilities. It started looking at, like, known software on the systems, and if there were known vulnerabilities that it could start exploiting and going around the network. Uh, the latest version of Emotet was actually, like, looking at wireless networks, even ones that it didn't belong to and trying to brute force them and trying to guess the password on those wireless networks so it could attack other machines and other networks as well. Yeah, that, that's quite some powerful stuff in there. And I think another very interesting feature which they were able to leverage quite often is the collection part. So once the malware was dropped on a victim's computer, it was able to read email conversations. And for example, let's assume Outlook is installed on a computer and they're going conversations back and forth between different departments. Maybe someone is looking for a new for a new head in a different department. Maybe someone wants to hire someone else in, in another department. And Emotet was capable enough to spoof those usernames and start interacting automatically with the threat. So it's not just your initial phishing email, which you get um, without any contact. It was actually some phishing in between, in between conversations, which are going left and right, which obviously makes it much more powerful because people don't assume that phishing attacks are happening at this point. And also, if email threats are going on, probably a lot of people, they are a little bit less observant when it comes to checking the email addresses or these uh, legitimate email addresses and having these kind of uh, con connections and, and this trust already established is something which was which was quite uh, heavily abused here yeah no i totally totally agree with you there i mean it's i, I think we're going to continue to see this evolution even though emotet has been taken down i definitely think we're going to continue to see this modular uh, evolution of malware yeah, and talking about the, the takedown part, I came across a quite an interesting, uh, I think it was a five-minute clip from the 
law enforcement from their Ukraine. It is a video um, uploaded on, on YouTube, so everyone who's interested can look it up um, if you look for Emotet Raid. But they showed um, one of the basements where one of the command and control servers um, was present. And I think it's it's quite interesting to see because for me, I ex uh, assumed um, sometimes that they made so much money, they probably have like these, these bad caves with a lot of technology and everything is is super high standard. But when you look at this video, it, it looks like uh, an old apartment. It's super dirty. And it's just uh, one of the computers, which looks like uh, from a computer, which I had like 10 years ago, full of dust. And the only difference to, to my childhood was there were uh, there was a lot of money and uh, different kind of credit cards and hard risk uh, laying around on the floor. Yeah, you know, when you first sent me that, I, I thought you might have been sending me your uh, your room that you just hadn't cleaned it in a long time. And then it kind of reminded me of what I do with my like old hardware and software. I kind of put it in, in a corner of my garage and I uh, just have it sitting in a box and it's just kind of laying around with no, you know, desktop computers with no covers on them and just, uh, you know, all dusty and dirty and uh, until until I finally uh, find all the time to actually erase everything and uh, throw them away. And I really thought that's how it looked like i was surprised that it wasn't a much more sophisticated operation for a command and control server for you know one of the most uh well-known uh malware that it's out there but yeah it, it looked it, it looked like it, it was uh out, out of uh like a flea market or something it didn't really look anything special yeah definitely because the command and control server is like the heart of the whole operation because every single infected computer which we call the bots or also the zombies is connecting back to the command and control server so usually these are ip addresses which are configured into the malware and once a bot is or a victim is infected it starts communicating with these kind of servers and that's one um one possibility how to bring down a whole botnet if law enforcement or any entity is capable of bringing down these command and control servers, the infected hosts are still infected, but they cannot communicate anymore with the command and control servers. And that's also one of the reasons why very often when you and myself, Omar, we look at the stats for local regions about current botnets, we still see a lot of old botnets which, are, which were taken down by law enforcement, but because the malware is still present on the computers, they still try to reach their domains. And sometimes this is a little bit, um, yes, spicy, because if someone is capable of getting this IP address under his control, he basically can leverage uh, infected hosts back from the past and, um, and reuse them for their purposes. Yeah, absolutely, and it's not—it's not only about the IP addresses. A lot of these botnets had, uh, you know, fallback IP addresses or you know, normally domains through DNS, and so they weren't registered. So you could have like a whole list of of uh, cycled DNS uh, names that it, it never that were never registered. So someone could you know deconstruct the malware and start that botnet up again. And I think that's why it's so important. That's why you know law enforcement has such a hard time on you know figuring out like if they're going to take down the botnet, you know how how are they going to inform like the victims you know what what is the next step to do so there's a lot of coordination not only with law enforcement but with infrastructure providers especially the isps on you know identifying the victims or identifying the networks and letting them know that they have uh you know infected machines so uh, they can clean it up that's definitely something where the whole intelligence part can make a big difference in the end because if we do not have this kind of information it's very hard to stop and mitigate these kind of attacks but talking about the researchers, 
I came across another very interesting campaign just announced by Google's threat analysis group just last week, where they provided some information about certain threat actors, which were targeting the researchers itself. And what stands out to me is that they built a connection with the researchers. So they established communications, they shared similar projects which they were working on, and they asked for collaboration. And sooner than later, they provided them software or links to websites which were infected. And the crazy part here is they were targeting the researchers with zero days. And zero days usually are super valuable because no one is aware about them and they, they cost a lot of money. And targeting the professionals, which are the, the biggest experts which we have when it comes to, when it comes to anali analyzing these kind of malwares and um, providing them the basically the zero day by itself, if they figure it out, this is quite an interesting approach. It is. I mean, targeting researchers being targeted by threat actors or cyber criminal groups. I mean, that's nothing uh, abnormal. I mean, we've we've seen it for a long time. Uh, research, you know, different cyber threat groups will specifically look at the techniques researchers are, are are using and try and you know just play little games with them and try and make analysis much much more difficult in many ways. It's been going on for many many years. So I, uh, you know, we we this is just another example of of one. Uh, there's been a lot. A lot more scarier ones where cyber criminal groups have gone actively after researchers or research groups and uh, um, you know have uh, at least uh, threatened them in a, in, a, in a very public manner and that, that always gets a little scary but um, I think we're always gonna have this little bit of a battle and um, yeah for uh, from my past experience this seems a little tame from what I've seen in the past so uh, I'll take this any day. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not it's not just playing games and 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 trying to to make their life a little bit more difficult. I also think they're after some of the informations they figure out because these guys they know uh, a lot about cyber trends. They know a lot about malware, and sometimes these threat actors are interested in figuring out what kind of information do these researchers have, and then steal it and leverage it for their own purposes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with that. Yeah, um, I think it, it just shows the whole cybercrime threat landscape is is heavily evolving. It's moving. It's it's never standing still, and um, we need to keep up to date. We need to understand what's going on. And um, it was it was once again a pleasure to talk to you more. And hopefully, we can do another podcast soon and dive into different topics. All right, sounds good, man. Always a pleasure being here. Thanks a lot. And for everyone listening in, thanks a lot and stay safe and secure. Goodbye.